Do you want to hear about great work happening in schools around the world? Just Schools are life-giving places that address feedback, engagement, and well-being for each student. Dr. John Eckert digs deep into the current educational landscape with research, experience, and a good dose of humor and humility. Join us in the desire to do justice, love kindness, and walk with confident humility. Get inspired with stories of improvement in the profession that makes all others possible. Today we get to talk about uh, well-being, belonging, discipline, AI. We get a wide-ranging conversation with a couple of great educators from Canada. Uh, You're going to get to meet Eric and Matt today, and I'm excited for you to hear from them and the work they're doing. They're really doing some thoughtful work on belonging for international students, for belonging for each student. And I love the way they're thinking about this. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. We're excited today to have some guests from our our neighbors to the north. Uh, So we got Matt Hazenberg and Eric Boltheis. And they are doing some amazing work at a couple different schools. They're down on campus for the Baylor MA in School Leadership. And it's been a blessing to have students from three different countries and 13 different states here for the last week. And their schools are doing some really interesting things with well-being and students. But first, I want to ask them to give us a little bit of their background, tell us the name of their schools, and how they ended up in education and where they're at. So... Matt, why don't you start? Yeah, for sure. So the Canadian connection today is what you got on here. Um, <laughs> That's it. So Matt Hazenberg, I uh, serve as a vice principal, international student coordinator at Woodland Christian High School, which is in Kitchener, Ontario, Canada, about an hour and a half west of Toronto. Uh, how I got into education specifically, I just always had a passion for for learning. I had a number of teachers who who I just really looked up to when I was young, and, and I wanted to kind of give back in that way. And uh as I started studying in university, I felt felt more directed and, and called in, into the direction of teaching specifically. So that's kind of how I got into it. Oh, and how long have you been in teaching now? Since September 2015. Okay, very good. Eric, what about you? Yeah, I'm at uh, King's Christian Collegiate in uh, Oakville, Ontario, about a half an hour outside of Toronto. Um, I've been there for 13 years and I'm an athletic director as well as a teacher. Um and I'm part of a leadership team there as well. So I get the opportunity to listen and um, contribute to the leadership and the vision of the school. Yeah. Um, I got into education. Both of my parents were teachers. They taught me. So all I knew was education. And I really, um, my dad and my mom both really inspired me um, in terms of just the, the rhythms of the year, but also the difference that every single day brings when you're in the classroom. And that really, really appealed to me. Um, and so I pursued it. Yeah, our job is never boring. Mm-hmm. I, I always say I taught middle school for years, and uh, they were different period to period, let alone day to day. You yeah. didn't know what you were going to get. And so it's infinitely interesting and also challenging. So one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you both, uh, Matt, your background is with international students mm-hmm. and uh, building community, and you have a heart for that that I think is really powerful and enriching to the environment. So it's not like you're just serving kids who are underserved. You're building a community that enriches things for everyone. And then Eric, we've been talking a lot about collective leadership and the way you lead well for each student, both as an athletic director and as an educator. So let me start with Matt. Where do you see your school doing good things that that is really addressing well-being for international students particularly? 
Yeah, good, good. That's an excellent question. Um, our international student program, when I first started, what was very much we have students here, and if you wanted to look at it as as their well being, for some it was, yeah, they're students, uh, but for others they were they were tuition dollars, and there was not a lot of there's not a lot of room for relationship building in classes, and I and I very much saw that there was a a distinct group mentality that was in the school and culturally that that was not great for our school culture. Um, as I stepped into the international student coordinator, stepping into the classroom with international students, I recognized that they really valued a sense of belonging, which is, which is essentially part of, part of our mission as a school is to enfold, engage, and equip. And if these students did not feel enfolded into the community like they belonged, how were we going to engage them in the classrooms and, and ultimately equip them for lives of Christian faith and service. Um, so making them feel at home in the classroom was important, but also starting what we, what we began was multicultural club. This was a club that meant kind of bi, met bi-weekly was some Canadian students, some international students. Sometimes would be conversational. Sometimes we'd be doing activities. Sometimes we'd be making crafts, uh, just a number of activities grounded in the fact that I'm going to get to know you. You're going to get to know me. We're going to experience life together, and the relationships that came out of that become more natural. Um, and students very much felt then a place of of home. Whether we go bowling occasionally, whether we do karaoke and we sing in different languages, um, that grew over time, and and we gained more international students as they heard about it. Um, and more recently, we've been focusing on our multicultural week, which is an intentional focus of. The community in which we live, the students that we have, the heritage, the linguistics, the cultures that we might not know And the about. food. And the food. And that's the important <laughs> part, is we, we gravitate towards sharing yeah. over food. Yeah. Um, so central to that week, we, we have a chapel. Um, but really, the highlight for students is that food festival, where we'll have anywhere from 10 to 20 nationalities represented of, with tables around the auditorium. Students, parents will, will make and contribute food to this. And students from the whole school will get to try a variety of different things. And it's, it's, it's a blast. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I, I want to participate. Yeah, can in you that. invite us? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, right. Go. that's right. The Canadian connection connects us internationally to all the foods we want to enjoy. Yeah. So, Eric, your role is a little bit different, but how do, how are you all at King's Christian Collegiate addressing some of this well-being through athletics and also through academics? Because I know in Canada, at least my perception is athletics through schools are less emphasized than they are in the United States and particularly in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, a, it's a different thing, but I think you are using it to get to well-being in some, in some good ways. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think um, the idea of well-being is definitely uh, an area of focus for our school. And the school has over the last number of years been intentional, especially coming out of the pandemic, been intentional about um, making sure that each student has been seen And that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But um, when you can pour into each student or at least ensure that they've been seen by the school in some way, then I think it gives them a sense of belonging and it contributes ultimately to their well-being, I think. Um, So that's done on a number of levels. Um, And, you know, in, in schools, teachers, administrators, leaders of programs kind of act in silos, I think. Um, But, together you put all those uh, those silos together and then you end up with a, a collective group effort um, to to pour into students in a way uh, that is 
uh, implementing an intramural program, let's say, uh, to give kids an opportunity to excel there, uh, a drama program, a music program, um, all of these different areas and different extracurricular activities that teachers go way above and beyond to put into place um, to ensure that students feel like they belong here, they want to be here. Um, and so that's been a huge area of emphasis for us. Um, I think, um, yeah, big part of um, also, uh, you know, seeing where they are, meeting them where they are in terms of what they need in terms of their mental health has been a huge, huge issue for us or a huge area of focus for us too. Um, and so we try to attack it in a lot of different ways. Um, mental health weeks is, is, is a huge week for us. Um, they'll bring in almost as good as, uh, as uh, the culture week, but we'll bring in uh, dogs to help them uh, for they can, they can sit with dogs for, or for an afternoon or things like that. So there are a lot of different things that the school is trying to do to ensure that kids um, feel comfortable at school can kind of reintegrate after the last couple kind of troubling years um so it's been yeah doing a lot a lot that's great and i, I would love you've spent the week we've we have people uh, an educator from indonesia you two are from canada and we have educators from all over the u.s are there differences that you're seeing in the way the u.s is addressing well-being for students than you are you all are in canada or where do you see similarities across uh, both countries I'll jump in there. So I've talked to a number of different uh, educators here in just the the student discipline aspect. Um, is that's that's part of the role that that I serve as? Um, I meet with a number of students, whether removed from class or um, they're they're just struggling in, in a variety of ways with with interactions with with their with their peers or or even with their teachers. Um, and something that I found that we all kind of are ascribing to hold to is a restorative justice practice. Mm. Um, that if there is an issue between you know, two students or, or a student and a teacher, that we are going to not only just address that issue, but we are going to come together afterwards and we are going to make things right. And we are going to be better in community moving forward, that we are going to restore that broken relationship as Christ restores relationship. Um, so I, I found it's actually very encouraging to see that regardless of how, how different countries or even different states view discipline, right. and, and I found some things are, are quite different here than in Canada in terms of what happens in terms of the discipline, but there still is that focus on that restoration afterwards. Right. Um, which I think is is crucial. All right. Well, I'll, I'll follow up with some of the things you've seen that are different. But I mean, restorative justice and practice is very much what we should all be about as we bring students back. They break community mm -hmm. and when they have ways to restore community. The, the key is that it's not just cheap grace. And I think in some places in the U.S., restorative justice has become a quote-unquote get-out-of-jail-free card. There is no consequence. There's nothing that restores the student to community because it's broken the, the the community is broken and then the restoration is like oh they're just back and there's nothing that's been done to acknowledge the wrong that was done either by them or by others to them that per per perpetuated this broken community mm -hmm. to right those wrongs and so i feel like that's really powerful thing so maybe we'll dig in on some of the differences uh in the way the consequences come out for that restorative justice but eric what would you say the differences you've noticed yeah in terms of differences i didn't notice a, a great deal of difference okay. but one thing that really struck me was was the similarities okay uh, good it's it's great being here with um teachers who are from public schools local public schools local independent schools christian schools um, and schools from around the world 
regardless of what situation or what what school they find themselves in, the the deep care and love that comes from kind of biblical norms and theological norms um, is the way that I've seen every single person deal with discipline or hurt or pain, whatever it is. Um, and I was talking to somebody today just about uh, who's in a public school saying, you know, we deal with the same things. We say the same things. We just have to say it a little bit differently when right. we're in a public mm-hmm. school. And so it's, um, yeah, it's just um, encouraging uh, it's to good. know that people are, you know, doing that. Everyone's doing it from the same, same place. It's good. So what are some differences you've noticed, Matt, in the way that the restorative justice plays out? Well, so I've had a, a couple of interesting conversations with with some of our new peers from from Texas in regards to students being removed from class, whether okay. going yeah. to detention halls or being suspended or um, to alternative places for for a couple of days, for a couple of weeks before coming back, and how that can actually be difficult at times for a student's mental health and well-being when they are that far removed from community or for that long. Um, In our context, we don't have those types of infrastructures set up. Um, Sometimes a student might serve like an in-school suspension or, or, you know, we have those conversations fairly quickly, hopefully in the day that something happens. Um, and, and really, if they're going to be removed, one, something that I learned about was what was referred to as a Mennonite shunning. So in the Mennonite oh, yeah. community, if you have hurt and caused harm, you are still part of us. But we are going to turn, your, turn our backs to you for, for a little while. But you are then embraced and brought right back in. Hmm. And so sometimes I've had a student where they have been shunned from the community of the classroom. But they are still in the building and they might be hanging out with with me for a day. Um, but then they are welcomed back in. The teachers come to see them throughout the day. So there, mm. there is that sense of, you know, you have caused some deep right. hurt to us, but we still deeply care about yeah. you and your well-being. Yeah. No. It's good. I, it's shunning. is When you hear that, it feels like that's a very... Mm unhospitable inhospitable way of interacting um, but i think the restoration to community is what's powerful and how we do that is what makes the difference about whether or not that student is going to remain in community and add to that community or continue to erode community because he or she does not feel like uh, they belong and yep. so that becomes this really uh, troubling cycle of broken community never really restored and then you just continue to break community because you want attention somehow you mm-hmm. need something to meet needs that aren't being met because you're not in community and so that's an interesting uh, way of thinking about that so i guess the the other question i would ask you is if you were to fast forward into next school year what's your best hope for your schools as it relates to well-being the well-being of the students you have like how do you hope next year is different than this past year i think for me a collective idea or a collective um work towards the well-being of 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 students Mm. um it I, i see it starting at my school um and i think um, with that idea of of being kind of united on that front of of what is well being and and how can we how can we do that and can we all work together equally to get there, mm-hmm. that would be something for me that would be 
you know, would be a huge leap in the right direction. Right. I keep hearing people talking, we're talking more about mental health. Mm -hmm. That's great. But how are we owning that in a way that we're collectively making sure each student is seen? We've talked about this in class. As an individual, if you see 200 kids in a day, you're not going to be able to meet the needs of each kid by yourself. Mm -hmm. But collectively as a school, you have to find ways to meet the needs of each kid and every kid deserves a champion and what does that look like and that's going to require others so love that what about you matt what would you say i think in in our context i think uh, eric and i have talked about this a little bit but coming out of the pandemic in canada we were shut down for quite a long time uh and then even when we get back into school it was it was very on again off again and then there was still there was no athletics or there was oh, no okay. no clubs that started up for a long time so what we're finding now with the mental health and well-being is students just don't know how to engage with one another, right? Oh. They, they've, been, they've become so used to just being in the rooms or on their phones that having interaction with other people is actually difficult. So reestablishing our school culture, which, which I felt very much was thriving beforehand, is those grade to grade interactions, those grade 12s who are leading by example, that those grade nines, when they come in, like they, they see what this place is about and they want to be a part of it. And there's been that, that fracturing almost as a result of the pandemic of we've kind of all splintered into our grades and we don't yeah. necessarily overlap as much. My hope would be that um, as our participation picks up and our, our curriculars, our co-curriculars, our, our clubs, our athletics, as they rebound and they are filled with, with students, um, that we see that that start to you know that meshing of of those grades those cultures those interactions uh, really rise again. I really I really agree with that. I think when the culture of your school is reestablished, um, people's well being will also mm -hmm. kind of fall in line with that as well. They want to be part of something uh, nurturing uh, and great. Um, and I I really felt the loss of that culture um, among schools during the pandemic. And mm -hmm. it's taken it it's not something that is just solved within, you know, you're back for a semester, you're back for a year. Uh, it takes a while to reestablish that because kids who were there when the culture was established are now gone. Yep. So, uh, you know, a new, a new crop of kids are here and uh, it takes a little while to reestablish that. Yeah. When the U.S. Surgeon General starts sending out warnings about mental health and isolation and social media and the mm -hmm. damage that it can do, I know so many kids were dependent on devices because that was their connection point because you couldn't be in person. Now, it's sad to see them physically proximate, but still having this mediated social media, yeah. not real interaction. And we talked about uh, phone snubbing or fubbing in mm -hmm. class. And I'd never heard that term until a couple of weeks ago. Uh, when you start reading research on this, that it's so detrimental to what kids are doing. So I'm so grateful for the work you all are doing because you are working with students in a way that they're meaningfully engaged. And we just need to keep doubling down on that. So at the end of these, I usually do a quick lightning round of a few questions just to get your responses in a word, a phrase, or a sentence. So uh, if you can recall, what is the worst piece of advice you've ever received as an educator? Or a really bad piece, if not the worst. Yeah, sure, I got one. You can do it if you put your mind to it. Okay. Tell, you not, explain that a little bit. So if you just put your mind to it, you will achieve great things and you're going to be able to finish everything. But sometimes you just don't have the gifts or the skills and you need to work in that, in that collective. I have some gifts, but I don't have all of them. So I cannot accomplish everything if I put my mind to it. Well said. What about you, Eric? I got a piece of advice early when I started teaching and uh, somebody said, Hey, 
if you want to maintain uh, classroom management, do not smile until November. Yep, and <laughs> classic. Just, it's uh, not not an ideal way to get into a into a classroom and not smile till November. Yeah. It's so not relational, <laughs> and, and the way we lead well and we lead for well being is relationally. Mm-hmm. And you've just put up a huge barrier that is a signal to everyone that I do not want relationship with you. Uh, yeah, you so. I think you said somebody said it. Uh, you learn best from people that you like. Yes, right. Yeah, it's yeah. hard to like someone who never yeah. gives you any sort of uh, sense that you like them yes rita pearson in the 2014 ted talk had a a teacher say like it's not my job for the kids to like me and she said well kids don't learn from people they don't like (laughs) and your year is going to be long and arduous which of course it was is the way she wrapped that up so no that's good all right best piece of advice you've either given or received best piece that i that i received especially as i stepped into administration is learning how to say no and set boundaries now i'm not good at it yeah. i'll be the first to admit <laughs> yeah. I, I really struggle with yeah. with saying no i'm a people pleaser but trying to figure out that there are certain boundaries and in order for our our own mental health and well-being and for me to be the best educator i can be for my students there are certain things that i need to yeah. to set aside so that yeah. i can actually focus on what matters sure. sometimes for me i think the idea of uh just loving first and it it sounded really cute it's probably a good bumper sticker uh (laughs) but when you kind of lean into that idea a little bit more um the the idea of bad kids doesn't exist the idea of a bad day or this group is not a good group doesn't exist and it makes your whole existence uh your teaching experience a thousand times better yeah yeah, uh, Bob Goff's Love Doves book it hits on that really, really clearly. And I think that's what we're all called to. And it's easier to say than it is to do sometimes. But I think that's that's great, great advice. All right, last two questions. Uh, what's the biggest challenge you see in education right now? The biggest challenge I see is, as somebody who deals with, with culture within the school is really breaking down some of those barriers regarding technology, phone usage, devices, and just learning how to be present Mm. in community. It's one thing to say that we're in community when we're in a room together, but if we're all on our phones and we're all doing this, or we don't have relationship outside of the classroom, I think that is, that's kind of what we are, the biggest challenge that we're fighting with right now. How do, how do we be in community presently? That's good. Yeah, I th- for me the biggest thing is how do you how to teach empathy and how yeah. to how to have kids understand the value of empathy. Yeah. I think wherever we go in the future, technologically, scientifically, um, if we don't have empathy and we don't model empathy um, across the board at schools, the future's tougher mm-hmm. without empathy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's the love first. I mean, it's what we lead with love, and you show love through empathy. The great thing about empathy is it's the highest level of understanding. Mm-hmm. So this is if you know you can understand it from your perspective, but then to be able to understand the world from someone else's perspective, that's our goal as educators is to help our students do that. So hopefully, those are mutually reinforcing the. Mm-hmm actual social interaction along with the academic intellectual piece of it the last question what's your best hope for education right now so as you look ahead what what are you most hopeful about opportunities i think like with the you know once we sort of figure out how ai is going to kind of work into education i I think like it, it kind of seems limitless in a lot of ways. So it's exciting in a lot of ways. It's, it's frightening in a lot of ways. Um, but where education and where teaching is going to be in 10 years, I think is, is an exciting, is an exciting prospect. So, yeah. That's great. Matt? 
I think as uh, as Christian school educators specifically, that we grow in our networking, mm-hmm. um, that we are not silos as independent Christian schools in, in the province of Ontario or across provinces or even in the United States, but that we build a collective of leaders across North America and even in the world that we can lean into, we can rely on, and that we can learn from so that we can really grow Christian education. That's great. And so wherever we're called, let's be the best we can mm-hmm. for the kids that we serve because we're walking alongside them to help them become more of who they're created to be. So what a great network of educators to be a part of. So thanks for being with us today, Matt and Eric. It's been great to talk to you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. I'm really with Matt and Eric on what we're excited about. I think there's great opportunities for us to network and learn and grow together. I think there are tools out there that can help us do this work well. I think this is a place where as Christians who know that there is real truth to be known, had hope for our students that there's a lot of great opportunity ahead uh, in the work that we get to do. So I hope you enjoy the, the remainder of this week in the profession that makes all others possible. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Baylor Center for School Leadership.